Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. Eric Nemchak here, Stephen Trinkwald there. Uh, we are moving on to part three of our 2023 free agency breakdown, highlighted this weekend, Stephen, by a massive trade. I, have we ever covered a four-team trade before on this podcast? I don't think we have. I don't think so, but I guess I don't have the historical memory to to recall but this feels like the biggest trade that we've talked about it feels like a pretty big one yeah interestingly not many actual players involved in this trade but a lot of capital being moved around let's uh let's break this down here so it is a four-team deal involving the chicago sky the phoenix mercury the new york liberty and the dallas wings uh steven what did each team get in this deal so the dallas wings they will receive diamond to shields the number five pick uh, in this upcoming draft from Chicago, which was originally Phoenix's pick, as we remember. Um, Chicago's 2024 first-round pick, Eric, and then the swap rights on Chicago's first-round pick in 2025. So basically, rights to three first-rounders from Chicago going to the Dallas Wings. Uh, and for that price, the Chicago Sky will get Marina Mabry. I'm sure they've agreed to a deal in some respects to a new contract as she was a restricted. It just hasn't come out yet. Yeah. yeah, we just don't know the uh, the terms. But she was a restricted free agent. This is a signing trade. Um, so Chicago will bring in Marina Mabry. They'll also get Phoenix's 2024 second round pick. The Phoenix Mercury will receive Michaela Onyenwede, Chicago's third rounder in 2024, and Chicago's second rounder in 2025. Uh, Onyenwede coming, of course, from the New York Liberty, who will receive the rights to Leonie Fiebich. Uh, apologize if I mispronounced that. I, I've never seen this person play or, or know anything about her. The Chicago Sky's 2024 second round pick and the swap rights for the Phoenix Mercury's 2025 first round draft pick. So let's start with Dallas. They received one of the three active WNBA players moved in this massive deal. Uh, obviously the draft capital as well. You know, two first round picks outright as well as swap rights to a third for Marina Mabry, who, by all reports, uh, was done with her time in Dallas. Yeah. What do you think about the deal from Dallas's perspective with Diamond to Shields fit? And then, of course, the, the draft picks that they acquired. Well, the draft picks alone make this an incredible return for Mabry, I would say. Because like you said, uh, the writing on the, was on the wall, I think, for Mabry's time in Dallas. You know, we could say like, oh, well, she removed all of her posts from Instagram with Dallas wings in them. But uh we at the Double Down WNBA podcast uh, like to look at the, the cold hard facts. Um, one of them was being that Tier McCowan was offered a lot of money, also as, restricted free, as a restricted free agent from Dallas. So basically, basically immediately as well. Yeah, immediately. So that alone, I think you could kind of interpret that as, okay, the wings are probably going to be moving on here. But getting Also, the, if, if you don't mind me interrupting, they sure. drafted Veronica Burton last year and signed Crystal Dangerfield to more money than they had to in the offseason with her reserved rights. So they were investing in, in the point guard spot in other places. Yeah, that's a good point. So um, seeing as how Marina Mabry was basically out the door anyway, and this would have been a sticky situation had this not happened because, you know, as a restricted free agent, Dallas would have been able to match any offer sheet Mabry has been signed to which, as far as you know, she was not signed to an offer sheet because apparently WMA teams just don't do that now. I don't know. Steven, Steven tweets about that pretty often. It, but, it's been um, a while. Um, so yeah, so like, maybe think she, about that before you pay your restricted free agent a ton of money. <laughs> yeah, right. So I don't really know what to think of it from that perspective. But, I mean, short, long story short, Mabry probably out of there. And uh, Dallas got 
two, maybe three first round picks out of the deal. Like that alone is is pretty darn good. Um, the player involved, Diamond to Shields, I have some questions about, honestly. What do you think about this fit with Diamond and Dallas? Because they did need a small forward, for sure. But is Diamond the one? Yeah, they, they didn't have one on roster. Of course, they do have the number three pick in the draft and now number five as well. And, you know, that's definitely something that they could address at the time. Although there has been reports that they are not really interested in, in Haley Jones with the number three pick. And, you know, I think if you or I were going to bet on it, we would say that Diamond Miller would not be available when Dallas comes to pick at number three. So... Maybe they, you know, just wanted more of a veteran option. You know, I think the crown jewel, so to speak, in this trade return is that 2024 first round pick for Chicago. And maybe we can, you know, kind of get to why that is in, in a little bit. But, you know, they, they didn't have a small forward. Diamond is a small forward. I think she, I, I get why they would want to bring in this player. Although I wonder if, you know, how much they actively sought Diamond out and how much of it was Phoenix. I guess, trying to, um, you know, clear off their salary books a little bit. In a lot of ways, Diamond had a little bit of a disappointing season in Phoenix, and uh, they have, I think, better players to to play that position. But let's just go through it real quick. I, the starting five, as I think it will probably be, Veronica Burton, Arike Agumbawale, Diamond Shields, Natasha Howard, Tier McCowan. Not really a lot of Floor spacing, not really. Shooting. Yeah, not, not a lot of shooting in there. Like, who in that lineup is taking a spot up three? You ha- you basically have one player in that lineup who can who can make a three uh, in Enrique Gumbawale, and she's going to take basically just as many threes off the dribble as she will spotting up. She's, she's like almost a, a 30% usage player, so it's not like she's really going to be spacing the floor for those around her. I, I really just struggle to see how all these players fit together. Like, Dallas, they were... Middle in the pack in, in terms of uh, transition frequency last year. They were third in efficiency when they did get out there. They were very, very effective when they got out in transition. But after Arike, who led the team in transition possessions, they lost their second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth leading transition players in frequency last year. In Alicia Gray, Mabry going to the sky, Kayla Thornton, Izzy Harrison, and Ty Harris. So, so Diamond is definitely going to kind of bring some much-needed transition volume to match Arike Gumbawale. And I, I don't know, the, the plan was initially to start Satu Sabli at the three. I think we both like her more as a four than a three, but do you like her more as a three, more than Diamond Shields as your starting three? Yeah, that's a good question. Does this mean that Satu Sabli is headed to the bench, which would be interesting, to say the least? You know, I, I think on the surface, DeShields might seem like a better fit playing the three, but then you look at her game and how it, uh, how it fits with Arike Gubawale's game, and Tierra McCowan's game and Natasha Howard's game, and I'm I'm having a hard time seeing how this is all going to work out because both Agunbowale and DeShields are very high usage players. You know they want the ball in their hands pretty often, and they can do some good things with the ball in their hands. But how does that maximize that front court duo? Because Howard and McCowan is already kind of a clunky fit offensively, if you ask me. And with two players who want the ball in their hands and want to shoot the ball pretty often, in DeShields and Agunbowale. Are they going to be able to get the ball to McCown in the post consistently? Are they going to be able to run effective pick and rolls with Natasha Howard consistently? Because while Ogunbowale and DeShields both have experience, you know, making some good plays out of the pick and roll, you also need uh, an effectively spaced floor to run pick and rolls with any sort of consistent uh, success. So I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think I'm. Uh, I think we're kind of in agreement here. Intuitively, and maybe for a lot of teams, it would be the case that. 
Diamond would, would just make more sense for your team at small forward. But this team just so desperately needs floor spacing much more than they need the other things that, that Diamond brings to you on offense, um, you know, especially in the half court. And if you're, if you're thinking about just purely floor spacing from that position, is the Shields that much better of a spot-up shooter than Sabley is? No, she's considerably worse of a spot-up shooter, I would there say. There you go. Her most frequent play type last season where in a year that she had more room for creativity, undoubtedly, I think, thus far in her career than previously and probably than playing alongside Arike Gumbawale was as a spot-up player where she was in the 8th percentile league-wide. She went 11 for 62, Eric, on no dribble spot-up jumpers last year. And, you know, she just wasn't effective attacking closeouts either, which I think is probably... That the, surprises me. Yeah, more surprising. And, I mean, that that's in a much more friendly environment, I think, than this Dallas Wings team is going to be, where the floor is going to be incredibly clogged, you know, I think the idea probably is that Arike and Tierra McCowan are just going to be so incandescent for you offensively, but the starters around those players combined to shoot 63 of 224 from three last season. That's 28% Eric in Burton, DeShields, and Natasha Howard. Like you, you just need to be able to, I mean, as much as like, you know, we're coming off as like numbers nerds or, or stack geeks or whatever, but you need to be able to credibly knock down shots around the players that are going to have the ball in their hand the most. And I, I just don't think that this really addresses that and probably actively hurts it. Yeah. I mean, you bring up a good point there and you don't even need to look at the numbers. Uh, I mean, we are nerds for sure. We are big nerds, but if you look at it from just the opposing team's defense's perspectives, are you going to double tier McCowan or are you going to single cover tier McCowan because Diamond to Shields needs to be respected from three point range? You know, probably not. Are you like, worried about Veronica Burton shooting three? Probably not. It's just all up and down this roster. There's, there's that same problem. And I, I don't think like with a Howard McCowan front court, like I don't think you're going to see huge lanes for Diamond to work as a cutter. Like I, yeah, I, you can't, you can't run uh four out one in either with that lineup. So sorry to interrupt there. No, I, I, we're, we're in agreement. I mean, Diamond last year was pretty efficient operating out of the pick and roll, as you had alluded to. Um, albeit, I'll go to this again, like on a team with much better floor spacing when they were playing with one traditional big and they surrounded Diamond with pretty quality shooting in whether it was, you know, Shea Petty or Sophie Cunningham, Diana Taurasi, Skylar Diggins-Smith. You know, that team could really space the floor around uh, a Diamond to Shields, Bree Turner pick and roll or, you know, whoever that, uh, that pick and roll partner was for them. But so, so maybe she can, you know, anchor the second unit pretty well when Arike and McCowan hit the bench and maybe the floor does open up a little bit with, with Satsu out there and Dangerfield can shoot a little bit better than Burton. Maybe she'll play in the second unit alongside Diamond. But, you know, when this team's, when, with what they see as their five best players all playing together, I don't know really how it kind of is a cohesive unit on either end. Like the Arike Diamond combination is a really inattentive defensive combo on the wing yeah, that's true diamond along with arike as, as she always is uh was in you know diamond had the sixth most isolation possessions in 2022 and you know scored about three quarters of a point per possession there so as much as you know she is has some great name recognition and had her moments uh getting out in the open court last year you know, I, I just, I don't really know how much better this makes them as a team. You know, it's interesting because on paper, I could see why the uh, why the prospect of a DeShields-Ugunbowale combination could be exciting. 
you know, they're both very dynamic players. They're both really good athletes. They can get into the lane very easily. They can make tough shots. And Natasha Howard and McCowan are solid offensive players, or if if not, you know, above average offensive players in their own rights. It's just that the, the when they when you put them all together, it seems like uh, you know, it, it's it's not gonna. I don't know is it gonna work? The floor spacing is just not good. Yeah, I mean, on the other hand, like. You know, if I had some excitement around Latricia Trammell potentially unlocking a walk queer and Satu Sabali defensively, like maybe I should kind of bring that same excitement for her bringing Natasha Howard back to where she was defensively at one time for finally turning Diamond to Shields into like a consistent defensive positive. Because she does have the tools. Yeah, she, she definitely has defensive tools. It's just, you know, is she consistently a positive defensive contributor? I think most of the time the answer is no. Um, you know, her best moments, I think, Eric, have been when she's guarding on ball because off ball, it's it can really be a struggle for Diamond. But I agree. But they also have Veronica Burton now, and she's not going to be guarding small forwards, you know. So I don't know. I, I'm interested to see how it plays out. I think I'm a little bit more skeptical than kind of the general public. But ultimately, I think, you know, this is still a good trade for them if for no other reason than – you know, they have Chicago's 2024 pick and a, a team that has its own questions and that should be a pretty good draft, Eric, as I'm sure we'll talk about many times. Yeah, if like if they still want another small forward, they can just draft another small forward. Rakia Jackson, Jordan Horse, and those players from Tennessee, not without their own weaknesses, but I mean, I think prior to this trade, I was looking at one of them to go to Dallas with number three, so... And maybe they still will, because this is... I mean, they still only have one small yeah. forward on roster, so... Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, I, I think one of the popular uh, popular talking points among WMB fans recently has been the Dallas Wings just amassing these massive amounts of draft picks, massive amounts of draft capital, without really being able to roster all of those players. Uh, but, like, look at the situation here. Mabry was probably going to leave anyway, and the Wings don't have to keep those picks. Like... Steven, I don't even know what I'm going to eat for breakfast tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen in 2025. You know, the, the landscape of the league could have sh- could shift dramatically between now and then. Um, well, I don't know. The, if- the big difference, Eric, is that in years past, like those players that were kind of filling Dallas's roster that you're kind of looking at, like how are they going to fit all those picks? They, those were protected veteran contracts that were kind of on the outskirts of their rotation. Now those players are like Jasmine Dickey and Charlie Collier, you know, Rookie scale. They're, they're easy or, calls. Easy exactly. Calls. You know, players that you don't have to kind of do any financial maneuvering to make room for a, a highly coveted draft pick. Especially because that 2024 draft pick is, is going to be good. You know, even if it doesn't end in a lottery pick, that's a really strong draft. The Wings will be able to upgrade their roster no matter, pretty much no matter what happens uh, with that pick. So, you know, they may have just for, they may have just forgotten about it by that time, by the time that rolls around. But, uh, yeah, I, I have a hard time not seeing this as a as a win for Dallas moving forward at the very least. You know, we don't know how DeShields will contribute. Maybe we'll be wrong and she'll put up, you know, career numbers along the rest of this along with the rest of these players. But it's it's really difficult not to like this for Dallas because they just got so much in return for a player who was probably out the door anyway. Yeah, and even if it's not a perfect fit, they definitely got a player who can, you know, fill a position of need and Sure. It's super exciting for the fan base, if nothing else. So, sure, sure. Um, let's move on to the the sky portion of this, Eric. Uh, as we mentioned, they traded a, a bunch of draft picks to various teams, and for the trouble, they'll get back Marina Mabry on what we assume will be a pretty pretty good contract for her, um, probably in the three year range if they're kind of giving all this up, and probably close to, if not the the max. So, um, 
she's going to be, I imagine, Chicago's starting point guard. I think we both like Marina Mabry as, as a player, you know, as, as someone yeah. who can play a role on a pretty good team. But as a Sky fan, Eric, what what are your thoughts on, on this trade? Oof. All right. Well, first things first, I apologize for my voice. I've been feeling a little under the weather lately, so it's even more nasally and annoying than usual. But this is a lot to give up for Marina Mabry. And let me preface that by saying I like Marina Mabry as a player. I think she's a great player. I think she has been maybe undercredited with the success of the Dallas Wings the past two seasons, and I'm thrilled to have her in Chicago. That being said, this kind of haul in exchange for Mabry, this is what you trade for an MVP candidate. This is what you trade for an all-star, an all-league player who you need as that last piece to fill out a championship contending core. The Sky are still not going to be contending for a championship this season. I don't think. If they are, there would be nobody happier to be wrong than I am. But, I mean, man. The upcoming draft pick, I don't really care. You know, in 2023, that's like, I mean, you look at, if the number three overall pick wasn't too good for Atlanta to trade for Alicia Gray, I don't think the number five pick is too good for this guy to trade for Mabry. That's all fine and good, but man, yeah, or, or number six for Tiffany Hayes, like that. That's all kind of relative value. I yeah, think. yeah. You can find out a lot about. You can piece together a lot about what GMs around the league think of an upcoming draft class when you look at how many times a pick in w- whichever range is moved. Right. That being said, I don't think you're going to find many GMs who are <laughs> jumping at the opportunity to give up their 2024 pick. Because, man, I mean, you look at this draft class, Paige Beckers, Caitlin Clark, Cameron Brink, Angel Reese, Mackenzie Holmes, Driona Edwards, maybe, Diamond Johnson. Like, there are so many huge names in that draft class that are, in in my opinion, it's going to be the best class since 2013, if all goes according to plan and if all those players stay in college. You know, it it could be wrong, but then you you might, might not keep your 2025 pick either. So it's like, well... They're, they're mortgaging the farm for a player who, again, good player, not going to put them over the hump, not going to put them in contention with Las Vegas and New York, or even like maybe Connecticut and Los Angeles too, right? You know, I, I, I understand wanting to, you know, jump back on that horse right as, as soon as possible and get back in contention and try to feel as strong of a team as you can, but you can't just be punting picks like this season after season after season. You know, like in 2021 when this guy first got Candace Parker and they were doing all those salary cap gymnastics just to feel the a competent roster around her, th- that was understandable because they had a core of veteran players that was on borrowed time, basically, and they knew that it was either championship or bust. This offseason was the opportunity for this guy to reset, to say, okay, we had a bad start to free agency. Nothing has gone according to plan so far, but we've got this 2024 pick in our back pockets, and if we get one of those players... That could be franchise changing for us. And they've basically given up on that opportunity. So in order for this to not look like a disaster, the Sky are going to need to be better than expected this season, better than expected next season, maybe better than expected the season after that, because there is really no safety net in case they aren't, Stephen. Yeah, um, it's, it's a lot to give up. For a player, a nice player, a good starting guard on, you know, a low-end playoff team. Honestly, probably a third guard on a real contender, Eric, like a team that can actually compete for a championship. I don't think Marina Mabry is one of your starting two guards unless you have real four real superstars around her, I think. 
Uh, and I, I don't think either of us dislike Marina Mabry on this team. You know, you no, just not at all. I play, love the fit. Yeah, place her with the rest of the roster. Like maybe not the ideal point guard archetype for the rest of this roster, and maybe not. You know, we have a um, this is a double down WNBA exclusive. I have it on good authority that Mabry wanted to be the starting point guard wherever she ended up signing, for whatever that's worth. But is she going to excel at the position on this team, in terms of what you want your sky point guard to be doing? It's a whole different conversation. I mean, I think I'm higher on her as a quote-unquote point guard than the, the general public who I think there's a lot of, you know, she's a, a two. She's more of a shooting guard. She shouldn't run your offense. I get it because she, she does shoot the ball a lot, but just because a player can score doesn't mean they're a shooting guard, right? She's, she's That's very true. at least an average passer at that level. You know, maybe not a, a super high leverage passer, not a value-added passer in terms of you know, making that second and third read and stuff like that. But she's a good pick and roll player. Is really good at you know finding the roller. I, I think she's she's fine as a, a, you know, what you want from a playmaker at the the position here. You know, not everyone's court. You got a lead guard. Yeah, I, I guess. And you know, this team is going to be better for having her. I think, but ultimately, like I still think they're a lot closer to missing the playoffs than hosting a first round series. And the level of player that they could be missing out on in the twenty twenty four draft. Is just it's way too high of an upside, I think, to miss out on that type of player for you know someone who's maybe like the sixth to ninth best point guard in the league or something like that. Just a, a non first or second team All WNBA player. You know, like what I said earlier, I'm not sure what the landscape of the league is going to look like two years from now. I don't think anybody can predict that because of all the one year deals people are signing. It doesn't really matter for this guy because they're going to have to keep going for it anyway. That's what happens when you trade all of your first-round draft picks so far into the future. You are locking yourself into must-contend status. Are this guy going to be, going to be contending this season? I doubt it. I strongly doubt it. And again, I, I really hate to be framing it like this because we like Marina Mabry. She's a good player. The team is going to be better with her on it. I'm really interested to see, just looking at this season in particular, I'm interested to see what the offensive hierarchy is going to look like. Because, yeah, that you, it's pretty obvious now they're building around Kalia Copper. You know, they signed Courtney Williams for one year. Now they bring in Marina Mabry. Those are a few players who, you know, while they've got some playmaking capabilities, they're all probably more shoot-first players than pass-first players, right? So what do you think would be the ideal hierarchy there in the offense? Because the days of the shooting 75% on cuts, th those are over. You don't have Parker. You don't have Miesemann. That's not going to be there anymore. So this guy are probably going to be running more pick and rolls, a lot more pick and rolls, right? Probably going to be playing with a lot more pace. But who's top dog there? You you would assume it would be Copper, right? But I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think you want Kalea Copper to get as much of, of her share of the offense as she can. But she's she's going to have the ball in her hands less than Marina Mabry because Marina Mabry creates more for others. You know, she she can bring it up the floor a little bit better. You know, Copper is not running pick and roll she's not initiating offense she is a really great self-creator uh and a really great play finisher we'll see if this team really has the personnel to maximize that the old chicago sky definitely did copper's never really been like a plus passer for her position she she doesn't really maybe we can see her kind of explore that element of her game a little bit I, i'd love to see it i think you know there's some other play finishers on this team that you know, I'd like to kind of see her explore that studio space. Uh, it would be better maybe if they had their pick and they could, you know, experiment a little bit more early on and, and see what worked and what didn't. But ideally, 
you know, Courtney Williams is a little bit lower on the pecking order than um, she has been for teams in the past. But I mean, they don't really have that true, you know, low post player that you're going to play a ton of your offense out of. You know, Mabry's going to take a lot of shots. Dana Evans is going to take a lot of shots. I think the one nice thing about the Mabry signing is she'll, she'll be st- Chicago's starting point guard probably, but she can play a little bit next to Dana Evans as well. Like those, for sure, for sure. Those two point guard lineups will basically be the only time this team run, runs out a lineup that has two players that can really, you know, bomb it from three. And, you know, Mabry does immediately become the best passer on this team, which is, you know, probably not amazing, but it's, it's fine, I think. Um, so I don't know. I guess the nice thing is that. Basically, all the bigs that they brought in this offseason are bigs that, if they can thrive offensively, they can thrive in the pick and roll. Um, as will, you know, Izzy Harrison, I think, is more of a, a pick and roll player than, you know, a, a back to basket player. Elizabeth Williams, I think, is a pretty good pick and roll finisher um, and less of kind of that pure post up option. A Stu Fall, who we'll get to, is, I think, a pretty good. She's got some chemistry with Marina Mabry. You know, they're playing That's together true. overseas now. So, you know, there's. I get why maybe some Sky fans are going to get excited about this. Um, and again, they're they're better now than they were yesterday, just in terms of their on-court talent for this upcoming season. But, you know, I, I've won, but at what cost? Yeah, nice Wario meme reference there. Very nice. Yeah, so to kind of look at this from a glass-half-full perspective, the Sky are going to be a decent team this year. They're probably going to be above decent. I think they could maybe find their way into a fourth fourth seed maybe host the first round playoff series. Like I am kind of doubtful that that'll happen, but it's, it's not outside the realm of possibility. That'll be a fun team. It'll be a team that has a lot of fight. It'll be a team that is exciting offensively, defensively. They'll, they'll be there. They'll be playing basketball on defense, but man, again, here's another way to put this glass half empty. How often do you see a trade in the WNBA or in the NBA or any pro sport where the, hands down best player in the deal is also on the team that probably lost the trade because this deal has was in the works for like two days i believe and probably a lot longer than two days but from what we knew um it's been it wasn't something that just dropped out of nowhere when we first heard about it it was you know marina mabry diamond to shields michaela onionwary the number five pick i'm like yeah okay sure number five pick for mabry that's a steal no problem that is not what happened I mean, honestly, even if it was the number five pick and the swap rights in 2025, I think that would be a fine return. You know, it's 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 the 2024 it, pick, man. Yeah. It, I mean, that would still be a little rich, honestly, to first round picks to just, you know, sign sign and trade for a restricted free agent who has never made an all star team, might never make an all star team, almost certainly won't make a, an all WNBA. But, you know, draft picks are, are being traded at weird uh, I guess, currency rates, you know, John Quill Jones got the sixth pick and some players, then Alicia Gray got traded for the third. So, you know, no, no team is really valuing these picks. Has when, anyone gotten traded for five second round picks yet? <laughs> I mean, this, this one's pretty closer. <laughs> yeah, right. Chicago traded as many second and third round picks as they could. And honestly, I think it would all be fine except for that 2024 first round pick when this team, you know, maybe they'll, they'll uh, surpass my expectations. Frankly, I think it would be a win for them and a, a surprising development, in my opinion, if they ended up as good as Washington or Connecticut or Los Angeles in the regular season. You know, maybe one of those teams end up disappointing, but you're still pushing all in for a team that probably won't host a first round playoff series, I would imagine. And like, you don't need to. Again, like the point I was making initially, like this was the perfect opportunity with 2024 draft coming up where you could land that ultimate consolation prize. 
you just embrace embrace the rebuild for one season. But I will close with this because I know everyone, particularly Sky fans, wants me to say something positive about this. So try this on for size. Try not to laugh. Step one, the Sky overachieved the season. Get the fifth or fourth seed maybe. Um, about in the playoffs, but you know, they put up a good fight. They, they win their first round game or whatever. Fine. In the offseason, they're able to convince someone like Jewel Lloyd to come home and play for this guy. Big contract doesn't matter because Courtney Williams is on a one year deal anyway. Then you kind of have, once again, this it might be an illusion, but you have this idea that, okay, people want to play for Chicago again. Yeah, this is, this is a decent place to play. Of course, ownership is going to need to invest between now and then in order to make that a reality, but. I think if you're trying to attract free agents, you got to sell them on something. And maybe selling them on a rebuild in Chicago is not as easy as selling them on a competing team in Chicago. So maybe this will set this guy up well for free agency in the future without any regard for draft picks. That would be my hope as a Sky fan because right now there's not much else way to look at this. Well put. Um, should we move on to the other two teams that were involved in this trade? Yes, because there were two. There were more, more than two teams. Uh, Phoenix receiving Michaela Onyewari and two Sky draft picks from the future. Yep, that's right. The uh, the second rounder all the way out in 2025, third rounder next year. Kind of inconsequential. Maybe that 2025 second rounder ends up being... That's going to get moved six times between, between now and then anyway, right? That, that's probably true. Yeah. I don't know. I, I kind of like this for for Phoenix. If, if Phoenix is able to bring everyone else back from their team last year, and then, of course, Brittany Griner, you know, I kind of like Onyewari as a third big in Phoenix space the floor a little bit around BG a little more, you know, when Turner sits, I'm pretty into that. It's a flawed defensive combination for sure, but Brittany Griner hasn't really played alongside a power forward who can actually space the floor at any level, really, basically since Dewana Bonner played the four alongside Stephanie Talbot, you know. You know, it's funny that you mentioned this because, uh, one, it's funny calling Onyenwari, I'll never not laugh at this, calling Onyenwari a big when she's like 5'11", but that is pretty much her position, right? Um, power forward. If... I know one of my uh, one of the things I'm maybe known for on this show is talking about how the term stretch big is overused. In this case, I think it actually applies whether or not Onion Wary is actually hitting those threes because she's going to get those threes regardless because she plays next to Brittany Griner, who is the most dominant low post player I think this league has ever seen. So that it, it almost works in, in the in the inverse. Like you don't need an excellent three point shooter next to Griner. You just need somebody who'll stand out there and, and take the shot because she's going to draw double teams and even triple teams. So you're going to get the shot, take it. Yeah, and I think, you know, the combination works when BG's on the bench and it's um, Bree Turner out there, maybe a little bit more of a kind of pick-and-roll-centric, you know, guard-centric. And transition. Offensive attack, yeah, and transition for sure. Um, but, you know, spacing around your kind of one pure center, you know, with Skylar Diggins-Smith, like, but but Skylar Diggins-Smith, Tarasi, Sophie Cunningham, Onyenwede, and Brittany Griner, like, that could be a really fun offensive five. Uh, we'll, we'll see you know, how many of those players actually end up playing for the Phoenix Mercury, but it, it doesn't really look like Skylar Diggins-Smith is getting moved. Um, you know, we, we hope Brittany Griner is able to come back and they get all the travel stuff figured out, obviously. But, you know, if she if Onyenwede plays more four than three, like, I don't know. I, I like it pretty good, to be honest with you. I, I don't think she's going to be playing much three because they've got Sophie Cunningham locked in there. Now, here's a question that I just thought of. Is Sophie Cunningham going to be playing the three? I mean, how much of her success last season was played at the four? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you there, but also, you know, whether she's a three or a four, I guess, um, offensively, you know, 
Michaela, Defensively, might be a different story. Yeah, but but Michaela's still going to be like standing out there and, and shooting at higher volume than Diamond to Shield. So it's not like the floor is like I guess any more cramped really than than it would have been last year. Oh no, it's going to be better. Yeah, I, I, think. I think so too. So now if this team plays four bigs routinely and we're seeing a lot of uh, Michaela Onyewere and Megan Gustafson out there, like that's not a good enough offensive combination I think to make up for how bad badly that it's gonna be bad on defense yeah it's gonna be very bad on defense especially with diana tarossi on the floor like that that's gonna be a very high defensive rating um with (laughs) with that combination of players but you know of course michaela actually has to hit the threes she she hasn't really done so all that well in her career but these will probably be the best looks that she's she's ever gotten so i guess we will uh we'll see how it goes and you know the price was maybe a little high as we'll get into but you know i think cunningham you know, unfortunately, is just she's a better player than Diamond to Shields, and her getting more minutes and, and Diamond getting less is probably going to lead to this team being a, a better basketball team. I think. Yeah, I agree. Um, you want to move on to New York? There's not much to say here because they didn't get any active players in this deal, but it wasn't a bad deal for them. No, I mean, I think this was a home run for New York. Honestly, they they got Chicago's 2024 second, um, which I think if you just got that in itself, that would have been a good return for a player that you were probably going to end up having to cut anyway due to, you know, the roster crunch that they're facing in Michaela Onyewede. So for them to also bring in the swap rights for Phoenix's 2025 first. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, Diana Taurasi will surely be gone by then or she'll be playing in her age 42 season. Doesn't really feel like Skylar Diggins-Smith feels at home in Phoenix. Um, we, you know, we'll just have no clue what this team looks like for the 2025 draft coming off the 2024 season. Right now, their their only players under contract for 2024 are Bree Turner and Sophie Cunningham. So, you know, this team, much in the same respect as uh, Chicago last year, kind of rooting for Phoenix's downfall. Like they might be coming off their second year of the. Stewie, Vandersloot, John Quell Jones core and, you know, getting potentially a lottery pick again to move a player that they were probably going to cut in, in a few weeks, you know, towards the end of training camp. So home run, I think. It was a good flip because they were, like you said, they were probably going to have to cut Onion Wary anyway, which they don't want to do. I mean, she won Rookie of the Year two seasons ago and they don't want to have to say, yeah, we cut a, we cut the Rookie of the Year. But yeah, that, that swap rights for, for Phoenix 25, 25 first. Again, I don't want to speculate too far in the future, but you do bring up some good points there. That pick could be very, very, very valuable, or it could, you know, not be swapped. Yeah, maybe it maybe it turns into nothing. But the bite at the apple that you get again for a player there's no who, risk here. Yeah, exactly. For a player that probably wasn't in your long term plans, you know, with as much high end talent as they they brought in this year, you know, uh, unfortunately for for Michaela and and for the Liberty, you know, they just didn't really have the room for her, and you know, they get a, a pretty good. Uh, future bet i think so you know good good for new york okay finally moving on from that mess uh we have another trade to discuss dream trading the rights to tiffany hayes to the sun for the number six pick in this upcoming 2023 draft as of right now when we're recording which is uh saturday night hayes has not signed the deal but it's it's just the rights right yeah so because she left the end of last season early to go play for uh, azerbaijan in a three-on-three tournament she lost her free agency, as we discussed previously, uh, and was under the suspended expired, um, meaning that she can only negotiate it basically with the, the rights. With yeah, the, that was weird. The team that, that holds weird. her rights. So um, I wouldn't imagine, you know, because Connecticut does have some room to to give her a decent salary that she'll sign for the minimum or anything. But, you know, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. 
all in all, like, you know, this does not make the John Quell Jones trade good by any means, but the value alone, I think, in trading the number six pick in this draft for Tiffany Hayes, I think is, is pretty decent. You know, if Hayes is healthy, you know, she really helps this team a lot. I think maybe like Rebecca Allen, it's, it's a year late, but, um, she's still, even with this team, not being probably at the absolute ceiling it, it had before in years past. Like this is, I think a very, very useful player for kind of what they are trying to do. And at least now, Eric, we know what they're trying to do, which was maybe a little unclear before this. Yeah, they are, they're going for it once again. And they acquired a pretty darn good player in Tiffany Hayes. I think one of the major questions is, is Tiffany Hayes going to be healthy? Which, you know, I can't answer that. Uh, Tiffany can't answer that. We all hope she's going to be healthy. I mean, she's but, playing overseas and she's playing really well. So Yeah, she's playing really well. And she is continuing a string of really good stints with, with her respective team. You know, she's been playing at a high level for many years now. And uh, if they can get this con- this level of contribution from Tiffany Hayes in 2023 they are probably going to be a top four seed, I would say. Because, you know, she's she's always been one of the best players in the league at getting, getting into the paint and getting to the rim and finishing. And while Connecticut wasn't really short on that type of player anyway, she just raises the level of their offense so much. I, I mean, I think in some respects they were, Eric. Like, they did not have a player who could catch the ball at the three-point line and just beat their defender off the dribble. Like, they... They get a lot of points in the paint, but a lot of it comes from bigs. A lot of it comes from maybe Dewana Bonner, you know, doing a little bit more meandering down there. Like they did not have this type of player who is just going That's to true. use that first step and explode by their defender. That's true. You know, they, they did rank, I believe, second in the WNBA in free throw rate last season. I could be wrong on that. Um, but it, it was all because of either, you know, just their big, very big players getting fouled or some other uh, grifting behavior. No, this is a player who is going to come in and she's going to blow by her defender off the dribble. They're going to force her left, but it's not going to matter because she's just too quick anyway. And she's going to shoot threes. You know, I she's been a, kind of a hot and cold three-point shooter in her career, but recently she's shot the ball pretty well from out there. And if you look at what they had previously, which was, I think it was just Dejanay Carrington kind of penciled into that, into that role, I would probably trust Hayes to knock down open threes more than Carrington, wouldn't you? I would definitely. And, you know, Hayes early in her career, it was very hot and cold season by season. And she could definitely, you know, still have that kind of colder season, but she was playing absolutely out of her mind before she got hurt last year. 64% true shooting. She was over 60% from two last year. And, you know, again, just the 11 games that she had played. But the last two seasons in the WNBA and overseas, she's been really effective from three over 40% on over 100 attempts in the WNBA the last two years. Again, that both cut short by injury, unfortunately, but in EuroLeague this year, she's shooting 38% on three in Euro cup last year. She shot 44% from three. So, you know, the last four major competitions that she's played in 41% on 227 attempts. Like she's maybe figured it out a little bit. And not, a, not a small sample. No, not, not a small sample. And if that's, even if that regresses to, you know, 38%, like this is an extremely valuable player and her shot profile is very analytics friendly. Um, you mentioned the foul drawing. She had eight and ones in 11 games last year. She's, she's always been just like a, a, an amazing and one player. She finishes through contact so well, you know, maybe her game is analytics friendly to the detriment of her game a little bit. Like she doesn't really have that kind of in-between game. It's it's all either like catch and shoot jumpers or attacking the rim. Like she's not really going to run pick and roll for you. She's not really going to create a ton for others. She's not really going to come off screens a bunch and, and kind of fire off movement. But 
you know, this team has other players to kind of create in that in-between space to do the lead initiating. Like what she brings to this team, as you mentioned, is just relentlessly putting pressure on the rim, you know, with maybe Kalea Copper, just like the most unguardable first step in the league. Like players have been trying to force her to her right hand for years now, and it's just impossible. Like she just gets by you and gets back to her left hand and, and then you follow her and then she's on the line for another free throw. So, um, you know, she's honestly like, she's not the defensive player that she once was. I think she, she's kind of lost a little bit on that end, but she's playing well as well offensively as she basically ever has in her career. I think, you know, kind of overall game. I think the one thing this team is going to excel at without a doubt is drawing free throws. Like I said, they were already good at it last season. But I mean, if you look at these career free throw rate numbers, Bonner, 0.374. Bree Jones, if she comes back, of course, 0.395. Hayes, 0.442. Alyssa Thomas, 0.456. They are going to be an absolute pain to keep off the free throw line. Yeah, I mean, this is, I can't frame this in any other way than this is a great move for Connecticut. Um, that would that would that pick have even like made the roster? I mean, it probably would have made the roster, right? But it, would it have even contributed at the level that Hayes is going to contribute? I probably mean, not. Yeah, not this year. No, not this no year. Way. Not this year. And, and I don't, I don't think this class is one where you're going to get like a, a future star at number six anyway. So, I mean, if if they're trying to compete, this is a move they had to make. And, uh, I, yeah. I mean, odds are like you know somewhere outside of the lottery, you're you're going to get a pretty good player. Um, but you know, you never know if that's going to be the pick that you use. And it's not like Connecticut has been killing it in these recent drafts. You know, they that's true. usually don't hang on to their draft pick for too long after drafting them. So yeah, that's, that's um, very true. I, I think this is, uh, you know, there's not really much to say on, on Atlanta's side. You know, I think that relationship was kind of done, uh, both sides just ready to move on. But I think, you know, getting number six for, for Hayes, like this, this to me is just like a nice win-win trade makes sense for both sides and it should help both teams. Okay. Well said. Let's move on a little bit. We have some other free agent signings to go over that, honestly, we probably wouldn't have even done a podcast this week if it weren't for this blockbuster trade that happened today, but um, we might as well just go over them anyway. Uh, for starters, you said we were going to mention this Dudu Fall. She is back with the Sky for one year, unprotected, 115000 and recently announced today, or recently reported today, I should say, Alana Smith. No details on that. Um, any Any impressions on this, Stephen? Well, it's nice to see us do back, you know, her last go around. I, I have to say I wasn't like the biggest fan of a stew. Um, I thought, you know, maybe Ruthie Hebert should be playing over her. But I mean, she's just like an absolute monster overseas. She's she's had her on and off years in the W. But this version of the Sky team, I'm, I'm a lot more confident that she'll help them than, you know, a team that was fighting for a championship. You know, she's a good rebounder. She's a good roller. She can't reliably post up WNBA bigs like she can in EuroLeague, but hopefully she won't be put in that position. And, so don't run post-ups. Yeah, no. don't. <laughs> easier said than done, I think. But That's um, true, that's true. But, you know, she the shooting definitely waxes and wanes, but she's been such a monster from two in EuroLeague, and I think a lot of that will carry over. You know, we've highlighted kind of some of the, the small elements of her game, just, you know, talking about her, like, catch radius and stuff like that uh, on exchanges on, on Twitter and, and kind of talking about it on the show. But, you know, I, I think... She's she's going to be a good player for them. I'm I'm happy she's back. You think she's going to start? I do actually. I think she will start with Izzy Harrison, um, together again. Uh, Stu and Izzy. That's right. Um, That's right. Because the the like I said before, the Harrison Williams fit in the front court is just it's not good enough offensively. There's no spacing there. But I I guess I would it would make sense if you started Elizabeth Williams because she is, I think, a better defensive player and 
Otherwise, this team, you know, Kalea Copper is the only player that you could really make a case that is even an above average defensive player for their position. But I think just the offensive ceiling that you could get to with Harrison and Astu might outweigh Ewill as a defensive anchor. But, you know, I could, I could see it going either way. I don't think it's like a no Maybe it'll be situational. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, the Aces, they have signed Kia Stokes for one year unprotected at 81000 They signed Sidney Colson to a training camp contract and reportedly by request uh, have waived Ileana Rupert. Rupert was quoted that she had asked for the release so she could go to a team with some more opportunity for playing time, which is understandable. You know, there wasn't really any room for her to get like serious burn. And I think the Aces wanted someone that was going to be there for the full season. So the dream have claimed her off waivers that that's a pretty exciting opportunity, Eric. I, I like that fit a yeah, lot. I like that. Anything about, you know, her going to the dream or these other signings for Vegas. Man. Uh, I mean, I think repair is going to be a good player. I think it's a bummer that things didn't work out in Vegas because theoretically she could turn into a good fit there, but for whatever reason, you know, they just want to run it back with their, with their steady hands with Colson and Stokes. I'm not sure how much of an on-court role either of those players is going to play this season. But but I don't have any butt, really. Yeah, that's okay. I mean, I think Stokes, uh, you know, was just kind of insurance for the other bigs that they have. I mean, what what do you think, Eric? Who will play more this season, Kia Stokes or Kayla George? I mean, George is on the protected contract. But Kia Stokes is getting paid more. Ha-ha. That's true. That's true. Um, I'm going to guess neither of them plays. <laughs> All right, fair enough. <laughs> and Sidney Colson, like, you know, I think for a team this good, you can you can spare a bench spot for someone that's so good in the locker room. For the uh, vibes. For yeah, the vibes for the, the vibes, exactly. Uh, Connecticut Sun have signed Christina Nigue and Lauren Cox to training camp deals. Um, once okay. again, uh, <laughs> stockpiling a lot of centers. Eric, we'll see if either of them make the roster. You know, Lauren Cox hasn't been amazing in EuroLeague, but I don't know. I still kind of think she could help a team. So they've also got Joyner Holmes. They've also got Olivia Nelson Adota. Which of those four players would you most want to see the Sun carry this season, assuming Brianna Jones comes back? Uh, Nelson Adota, I would say. And then Cox. Okay. Pretty confidently. Okay. How about you? Do you, do you disagree? Um, I'm not sure I disagree. Uh, this is almost a case of, well, we know what Cox can't do, and we know what Anigwe can't do. Let's just see if Nelson Adora yeah, exactly. can do something. What, what's behind door number three? It's kind of, pes- it's kind of pessimistic, but I think if, if you're looking for a a last big in your rotation, like an end-of-the-bench player, that's kind of how you got to look at it. Yeah, sure. I, I can see that. Uh, the Phoenix Mercury have signed Jenny Sims and Sidney Weiss to training camp deals. Uh, I like both of these. Wouldn't be surprised if either or both made the team. You know, obviously Weiss was had a pretty disastrous season in in Washington the last time she played in the WNBA, but has a skill set that makes sense. You know, can three and D a little bit. Uh, doesn't do much else. Like can't do anything off the dribble. Jenny Sims very efficient from two last year, uh, over sixty percent from two. I tried to watch some of those, but uh, the WNBA stats page just didn't work at all this weekend. So thank you oh, WNBA.com. Nice. A lot of. Uh, room to to kind of fill out the roster at the end of the mercury bench there so uh, i think weiss is one of those players who's just going to be around for like a decade you know signing training camp contracts here and there she's going to be someone who sticks around in the league maybe not on a on a team year to year but she she seems like a player who's going to be like coaches are just going to love her wherever they're at i mean if she hits her three she's valuable and if she doesn't she you know, has no place on your roster. So, we'll and we've see. seen both sides of that coin. We, we certainly have. The yeah. New York Liberty will sign Epiphany Prince to a training camp contract and signed uh, Sika Kone to her rookie scale deal as a third round pick. People are excited cool. about uh, Kone season, Eric. Yeah, me too. I'm excited about that too. It does raise some questions about what's going on with the rest of that, that front court rotation. 
Like, is Hanju going to play this year? Um, is Nira why Sabli has Nira, is yeah. Sabli, like, she hasn't been signed yet. What's going on with that? I haven't heard anything, so I'm not sure what's going on there. But, yeah, Kone, uh, just for a brief refresher, a lot of us thought she would be used with New York's first-round pick last or year. Minnesota's first-round pick. Or Minnesota's, like yeah, because, uh, like, a team that needed to stash a player. That obviously did not happen. She went drafted in the third round. But this basically tells us that she is going to play this year. She is going to come over. And uh, one of the more highly touted international players in the world right now. So excited to see what she has to bring. I mean, obviously, there just aren't that many players out there. But my general philosophy is that every team should just use their third rounder on an exciting yeah, like, why slash not? player. Like it, You're going to hold on to that player's rights a lot longer than the American player that you cut in training camp that year. So Epiphany uh, Prince has uh, ties, obviously, to both uh, Courtney Vandersloot and Brianna Stewart from previous teams. Um I, I think she might be done. Honestly, she's a legend, but, uh, you know, she, she was really good two years ago. I, I just don't think she has anything left defensively. She can't really do anything inside the arc. I, I, this, I, this sounds like, this comes across to me as just like a, as like a hometown signing. Cause she's from Brooklyn. She made a name for herself playing there in high school. Um, it would shock me if the Liberty don't bring in or draft at least one or two more ball handlers just to compete with. Like, can you see Prince making this roster? I, I don't think so. I mean, she might just be the holdover until Maureen Johannes is done with her oh, that's international true, that's true. team obligations. Um, but then you have to cut her, and you know who knows if that's going to go over well. Um, but you know, we'll see. I think with uh, Sika Kone, you know, this might mean no Han with her international team commitments as well. But if that's the case, like they got a pretty good look at Han last year, they they kind of know what they have in her. She wasn't really going to get a ton of run with this team having much grander ambitions and basically a rotation filled out already from the big spots. So I think her missing the season, holding on to her rights and getting a season's worth of a look at Tika Kone in practice against, you know, WNBA players it could be worse. I think it, that's fine. Not just WNBA players, like WNBA stars. Yeah. Pretty good ones at that. Yeah, pretty good ones. Yeah. Uh, the Los Angeles Sparks. Uh, we talked about Leisure Clarendon, but we know it's now a training camp contract and they also signed Jordan Canada. I mean, do you think there's any chance both of these players make the team, or is Canada just Clarendon insurance in case they're um, not right? I don't think they need both of them. I don't think they need both of them. Like, what would what would be the point of carrying both of these players? I know you need ball handlers, but uh, looking at Canada, like Canada only got a training camp contract. That that surprises me. I thought someone would would pay her more than that. I mean, I texted you a couple of weeks ago that I thought maybe she would not get a signing this year. Well, you're not you're not a GM. I'm not. That's you're true. not a GM. But this but this does tell me that around the league, people are pretty low on Canada. So I mean, I think everybody likes what she does well, and the limitations are just a little bit too much. You know what I mean? It's not they're, like, they're they're too much to overcome. Yeah, and she hasn't really shown the ability to overcome any of those weaknesses. Like she's been, I don't want to say she's been the same player since she came in because. I don't know how much work she's putting in off the court. Probably a lot. Probably a lot more than I do. But, I mean, the proof is in the pudding here regarding, like, her three-point shooting and her two-point shooting and basically everything outside of assists and on-ball defense. So it'll be an interesting position battle for sure because, I mean, these are both vets. These are both players who have had extensive experience already on good teams and both players who bring different things to the basketball court. So we'll see who wins. The Seattle Storm have signed Teresa Plaisance to one year unprotected at 90K, a step up in pay from her training camp contract that she got from Vegas last year. And Yvonne Turner also signed for a training camp contract. You know, I'm surprised that Plaisance was, a little surprised, I should say, that Plaisance was able to get that much. But Seattle has 
money to spend. And, um, you know, she, she strikes me as kind of a fringe roster player and one, you know, this team has a lot of bigs. I, I'm not sure she's a, a shoe in to make the team, but maybe at, at that price she is, um, you know, not nothing too interesting going on here. And Yvonne Turner, this is their only ball handler right now. They, they can't be just going into the season with this. I mean, I know they're probably not playing for the playoffs this season anyway, but you got to think there's a younger player in the pipelines here, right? Or in their plans. One would think. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's not looking good. It's, it's kind of strange what they've done so far, but okay. Uh, the Washington Mystics, uh, Amanda Zowie B has officially signed a training camp contract as well as Stephanie Jones. I think we talked about Jones last week. But... We, we might have talked about Jones, but Zowie B, I mean, we talked about Zowie B as well, but it hadn't come out that she had signed a training camp contract. Yeah, I mean, a mixed reaction, I think. Um, you know, people kind of expecting Zowie B to, to get a little bit more, but Washington obviously gave up picks to, to get her, but they're also bringing in a ton of competition, so... A lot of competition. I, I think she ultimately makes the team, and I think she ultimately plays less than Maisha Hines-Allen as this team's fourth big. Um, and I ultimately think she probably doesn't really help them win too many games because she, she kind of looks like she might be done as well. Well, it's hard to help your team win games if you don't play, but I see what you're coming from. And finally, the Indiana Fever have signed Emma Cannon to one year, protected at $80,000. <laughs> I I don't get this one, uh, Eric. They... The silver lining, I think, is that they can, um, they, can, they, they can they can cut her and still eat that money and still be able to roster someone else and and still roster twelve. Yes, so you know maybe this is just a, a show of good faith. Um, I wouldn't think that it's the best use of a roster spot for, and uh, for the Indiana Fever to keep, you know, thirty three, thirty four year old Emma Cannon at this stage in their development. I'm sure she's a really great locker room presence and maybe just kind of. Um, Setting sail on one of their other young players would be worth keeping her around. But, you know, just going through the roster, you know, maybe if they didn't sign Victoria Vivians to big money, Cannon would be the, the roster spot there. But I, I would be hard-pressed to cut a young player that I had some belief in to keep Emma Cannon around. Yeah, like, looking at the competition on the roster right now, Chelsea Perry and Renee Davis are both players I liked coming out of college. Um, of course, this is not what Eric wants to see. It's what the Indiana fever want to see. So I defer to them ultimately, but you're right. Seeing a uh, cannon take a roster spot on that protected $80,000 contract over one of those other players. Eh, like, is that the best use of a roster spot? When but you're but Eric, even without Renia Davis and, and Chelsea Perry and Kayla pointer, they have 10 other players on roster and two draft picks. So, one of those players isn't making the team, basically. Okay, so 10 plus 2 does equal 12. Yeah, you're right. Okay, something's got to give in Indiana. Although, we'll see what happens. Um, her hoop stats has her as unprotected this year. So really? I don't, I don't know who made the mistake there, but that is um, It's probably me. <laughs> but no, because, uh, I mean, we, we talked about it in... Uh, I thought uh, it was protected. Yeah, it was def- It was definitely reported that, that it was protected, but um, maybe we just missed the follow-up or something. Okay, I don't know. clerical error on somebody. We'll see who it is. Uh, But that's all we got. Should I wrap up here? Yeah, let's wrap it up. All right. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to support the show, which we uh, would very much appreciate, you can do so by subscribing, rating, and reviewing on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. You can follow the show on Twitter at DoubleDownWNBA. You can follow Eric at E or myself at Trinkwald. And uh, this time we really will take a week off, I think. uh, Yeah, we'll we'll take off, yeah. Something major happens, but uh, we'll be back soon with Team Outlooks. Definitely looking forward to that. Thank you so much, everyone. We really appreciate you. See you next time.